0: Let's pray before we uh, do anything else. God, I am, um, I'm thankful for Christmas. I'm thankful for what it represents. I'm thankful for uh, being able to talk about what it represents. I pray that uh, what we hear today, for some of us, may be first-time learning. Some others of us might be a new twist on it. Others of us may reacquaint us with something that we've lost touch with. But I pray that you touch us all in a deep and personal way. I also ask that what I say would be helpful and that most importantly, it would be in alignment with your truth in alignment with your heart and that uh, you'd use these words to bring us to new places in our relationship with you. I pray these things uh, according to your reputation, your character uh, and the identity and name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I used to do all the hiring at Crossroads or even still today when I interact with somebody who may make some sort of job transition, whether at Crossroads staff or, or a friend of mine who's out in the, in the business world, I'll often try to help them figure out what it is that they ought to be doing on a regular basis. And oftentimes people just don't have any sense of what gives them life, what, what, what they are excited by. So I'll say something like, what will be Christmas every day for you? Every day will be Christmas every day. And, uh, and they're looking like, well, well, you know, Christmas, we, we wake up in the morning, we are excited about that day, and we're going to have energy going through our day. Yes, there's some things on Christmas you don't like. You don't like cleaning up the wrappings and stuff like that. But you can live with a positive expectation and have Christmas every day in your job, even in the midst of difficulties. What would it be like to trend your occupational life that way? And that's what we're looking at in this series, 365 Days of Christmas, having the values of Christmas every day. The very first week, Chuck talked about anticipation, living with a positive sense of anticipation. Anticipation. First of many songs I'm going to sing today. Chuck <laughs> says he likes singing, but he never sings all that often. So it leads me to sing who has a bad voice. Anticipation. What's it like to live with a, a sense of anticipation every day? And last week, Jenny talked about preparation. Not preparation age, but preparation. <laughs> being prepared. Yes. Junior high humor. I am very predictable. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am unpredictable. You know, I've got my Christmas sweater on. Some of you are saying, hey, man, you wear that every Christmas. Yes, I do. In fact, um, at least 65% of all Awaited shows, I will be wearing this exact outfit. I am, I, am, I am very predictable. I am predictable about the things I like about Christmas, the things I wear about Christmas. I like the values of Christmas to, to go throughout my entire year. And Jenny did a phenomenal. How good was she last week? How great was that? I'll tell you what, I was... Uh, I was touched very deeply by that. Libby and I were both. It was was very, 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 very good stuff. And so this week we're talking about celebration. What would it be like to have an attitude of celebration every day, 365 days a year? One of the verses that Jenny referred to, I'll refer to it again, comes when when Mary is pondering and thinking through all the things that have been happening in her life. She's been visited by an angel. She's starting to see God's grand redemptive plan unfold. She's starting to connect the dots between things that were prophesied in the Old Testament and what she's starting to experience. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, it says this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This isn't just a one time, oh, interesting stuff. I like that. I celebrate it. No, she treasured it. It's as if she went around intentionally, intellectually, gathering all the things that have been happening and she pondered it, not had a fleeting thought about it. She made a decision to celebrate and dwell on the deep stuff that was happening. That's what celebration is. Celebration is deliberation through ideas about celebration. celebration is when I deliberately think about the thing that I want to celebrate. I deliberately think about the thing I want to dwell on. I deliberately think about God. That's what Christmas is. It's thinking about God, the greatest thing that's happened in the history of anything, that God Himself, God, the high and exalted one, comes down and takes on flesh, lives a human existence, perfectly as only God could and yet dies a death that I personally deserve. This is the story of Christmas. It's a story of love, a story of God coming after, a story of God saying you and I are worth something. This is why Christmas tends to have good vibes. It's why we tend to have celebrations. It's not just that we have built in a built in party system at Christmas, but it's sort of like it's in the air. Even if you're in Walmart, you hear Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) It's a little sense of celebration, you know, you're kind of tapping your We start to sing Christmas carols that point us to something outside of ourselves, to something transcendence. We will have Christmas movies that get us in the joy and the mood of celebration. How many of us watch Christmas Vacation every single year? How many of us? And then whenever we pray over the Christmas meal, we want to say a blessing, that blessing. That blessing, as Uncle Lewis said. Yes, I I actually think about that scene 365 days a year or at least 50 days a year. 50 days a year, I dwell on what it's like to give a blessing. I like that. When I go to the dentist, I think of Herbie and I want to be a dentist. Herbie wants to be a dentist. I think of these things. I intentionally, that's pretty good, wasn't it? That was good, yes, yes. Um, I think of these things regularly. I think of the message of Christmas in the songs that we've been singing regularly because I want to think of the love of God coming into my life, coming into my world on a regular and consistent basis. Actually, my favorite Christmas song is oftentimes not classified as a Christmas song you may have never even heard before, but it is my favorite Christmas song. It may have been because I first heard it at a high school choral concert years and years and years ago at Christmas time. And and it cemented the value of taking intentional time every minute. Any minute is a good minute to celebrate. And it's still stuck with me. So we're going to take a look at a rendition of that song. And while we do, we're going to... uh, have the opportunity to be generous. If you're newer here today, hey, we're hoping you receive generosity from us today. No obligation, just let that bag pass by. For the rest of us, whether we give electronically or the old fashioned fuddy duddy way of dropping something inside of a bag, it's our way to identify with the generosity of God, wa- wanting to take a page from His playbook of being people of love. So let's go ahead and be generous. We build into things that are going on in our midst and, uh, and check out my favorite Christmas song. Man. 525,600 minutes, you'll be seeing that all year long. And I hope you do. That's how many minutes are in a year and that's how many different opportunities you have to make an intentional choice to celebrate, an intentional choice to dwell on the love of God, an intentional choice to dwell on the, the plan that was all about bringing you and me into a relationship with Him. The whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible is about the message of Christmas, the message of love, the message of God coming out. The whole thing, everything in the Bible, either prophesies the message of Christmas, everything in the Bible either preconfigures the message of Christmas, teaches about it, or is Jesus having Christmas, or modeling the character of God, or teaching the application of it. Everything. In fact, in the Book of Hebrews, chapter four, Hebrews is all about connecting the dots with Jewish uh, Jewish believers. Ancient Hebrew believers to understanding their Old Testament scriptures are all telling about Jesus and the message of Christmas. So Hebrews, written in the New Testament, is connecting the dots, how all this connects together. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 4. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Obviously a classic text in the Old Testament is the creation narrative in Genesis 1. And in it, God rests one day, one day. And this is a a rhythm that we are all to have at minimum, one day out of seven. Not being productive, unplugging, thinking of God, resting, recreating ourselves. That's what recreation is. And so what this says is this physical reality is also a spiritual reality. That there comes a time when you can enter the rest of God. What does it mean to enter the rest of God? God, rest ye merry gentlemen. What does it mean to enter the rest of God? It means that it's you stop trying to impress God. You stop trying to earn God's love. You stop trying to work your own sin off. It means you stop trying to uh, have more good things in your day than bad things because you're trying to get brownie points before God. It means that you, you stop commiserating all of, over all your shortcomings and trying to pull yourself up and do it harder and harder. It means that Jesus come for you and He's worked for you. It means that Jesus has actually come into the flesh and all of his works apply to your account if you receive him. Entering into the rest of God is a one-time decision where you receive Christ, you receive the spirit of Christmas, that's what Christmas is about. You receive Christ, and that rest you enter into his rest where you say, "His works, they're my works. His attitude, they're my attitude and. By striving to enter that rest, it means it's a daily decision whether or not you will live in that rest or whether or not you will work the old plan of trying to impress God, work the old plan of trying to rectify your wrongs in and of your own power. It's an amazing thing. When I believe that God has worked for me already, starting in Bethlehem, actually starting in him masterminding the idea, then to Bethlehem, coming in, in, in the form of a man and then going to a cross, dying a death that I deserve and then coming back to life. That is crazy, crazy stuff. That is work that I get to rest in. And if I can't celebrate that every day, I got a problem. i got a major problem. Now some of you are going, dude, come on, be real. You can't. How in the world would you celebrate that all the time? The same way that you worry all the time, that's how. Some of us, it just becomes second nature. We worry. We worry about everything. We worry about the economy, worry about uh, Aunt Mildred and whether or not our cookies are going to be bad this year. We worry about the snow. Oh, no, snow. I can't go to church. I have to go to Kroger instead. Oh, no. Oh, I'm worrying. I'm worrying. Gosh. That's the worst characteristic of our our city. The worst characteristics is Kroger addicts as soon as white death shows up on the television. oh, no, worry, oh, very, very. Some of us just naturally worry. Some of us naturally, we've made the decision somewhere long ago. We've dwelled on long enough to be fearful about everything. Fearful about what could happen with this. Fearful about, oh, my, my child, my child. They're, they're driving right now. Oh, no, they're going to get paralyzed. I know. Oh, no, no. Oh, my kid, my, my two-year-old is riding a tricycle in my basement. Put the helmet on him right now. We're, we're fearful. We're fearful about everything. It's, it's become a, a common attribute for us. Bitterness. Anger, my goodness, listen to talk radio, watch the news. We feed on bitterness and anger. Bitterness and anger towards people we didn't vote for. Bitterness and anger towards people who did us wrong a long, long time ago. Some of us have been chewing on the same root of bitterness for decades. You become a bitter person where some of us have become a person of celebration. Because it's a decision you make where you inculcate that into your life on a day-by-day basis and you get better at it. And some of us have gotten really good at worrying. We've gotten really good at fear. We've gotten really good at bitterness. I'm here to tell you, man, you can get really good at celebrating. You can get really good at dwelling on the goodness of God and what it means to our life. Why why does Christmas mean a lot to us? Part of it are are presents like we see up here. I mean, who doesn't like to receive presents? Except if you have something re-gifted to you. That's not all that fun. Unless you have wine re-gifted you. If you ever re-gift wine to me, that's fine. You can re-gift wine to me all day long. <laughs> I prefer beer, but either one, you can re- re-gift that. that. That's all good. But well, what is it about the re-gifting that, 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 that it doesn't make us feel good? It's because we know that somebody gave it out of an obligation, probably. They gave it out of an obligation. Oh, no, I forgot to get you something. You give me something. i got to figure something out. Oh, no, it was a party tonight. i got to take something. There wasn't a lot of thought that went into it. And it doesn't communicate how valued you are. You can get something that was out of somebody's basement they haven't used for years. But if they thought about you and they knew that would be perfect for you, it is a value. Why? Because what does a gift say? A gift says, you're important. A gift says, I thought of you. A gift says, I am doing something and changing something for your benefit. And this is what Christmas is. Of all the things God could have given you, God said, how can I give? people my best. I'll give them myself. I will give them myself. I will come in the form of a man to dummy proof who I am, to dummy proof my character, to model it and actually do things that you and I could never do. It is a gift. that says to you, you're important. It says to you that God has not forgotten you. It says to you and I that God has a plan that transcends any shortcomings that we've had up to this moment. It is a sign. It's a sign. The book of Isaiah A prophecy talking about Christmas. It says this This will be, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a sign. What is Christmas a sign of? It's a sign that God wants to be with you. Emmanuel is one of the names of Jesus. To know somebody's name in ancient society would be to know their identity. And so Jesus has a number of different names accentuates a part of his personality. One is Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God with us. God with us, not God teaching us, not God above us, not God moralizing with us. So those things may happen, but God with us, God actually coming down and taking on flesh. This is a amazing, amazing truth. The great atheist of our time, Christopher Hutchins, and I uh, call him, I call him great Hitchens because I call him great because what he does, he's great. He is great. And uh, his mind is very sharp and I couldn't answer perfectly everything that uh, he says. He's a very smart, very brilliant guy. But he really tipped his hand recently when he talked about really what his base motive is and really why he intellectualizes over things that are of spiritual nature or intellectualizes against them. Here's what he said. He said, Even if the Virgin Mary would appear to me or Jesus of Nazareth, I would assume it was an hallucination. What's he saying here? What he's saying is, I'm not a seeker of truth. I'm not a seeker of something transcendent. I'm a seeker of my thoughts being right all the time. Because even, even if something miraculous happened to me, I would just immediately disregard it. Oh my goodness. Sad, sad, sad. I happen to not believe in Buddha. I know I may believe it existed. But, I, you know, if, if Buddha ever came and lifted up my bed, that little fat guy lifted up my head and say, I would believe in Buddha. I would say something is powerful here. The fact that he would say no matter what I'm not believing says, I'm committed to my thoughts. I'm committed to my ideas. I'm committed to my intellectual superiority. I'm committed to getting my way. I'm not committed to having something transcendent. Could never happen. See, Christmas says, yes, there is a physical world, but there's a spiritual world too. And things in the spiritual world every once in a while, Trump transcend, override the normal physical matter of things. And if there's a God and He doesn't overcome physical laws every once in a while, then why is He God? Why should I consider his role in my life? Yes, it is amazing thing that God puts seed inside of a woman who's never had sex. Yes, it's very amazing. That's the kind of thing that a God who is beyond me would think of, would think of. And it's the kind of thing that tells me that, Brian, you're important. Bob, you're important. Jill, you're important. Suzanne, you're important. God masterminded this from the beginning of time to come and enter into your world. See, the the, the word for this could be that Jesus identified with us or God identified with us by taking on flesh. But the big theological word is this is the incarnation. Not only do I deliberately celebrate, but but, but celebration comes from my understanding of the incarnation. That God came from on high, came down low. That God actually took on flesh. I've been reading that there's some churches that are doing the rather controversial move of, of uh, eliminating certain Christmas songs from the repertoire because they believe there's things that are inaccurate in them. And for the most part, I'm like, hey, it's a Christmas song, whatever, just sing it. Uh, I, I, think, I think sometimes we get... I think sometimes we get a bit too anal. But, um, but I understand the train of thought. Uh, specifically one song that churches, some churches are deciding not to sing any longer is a song I, I grew up singing when I was a little kid in, in our Presbyterian church, Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger, you know, that whole thing. There's one verse that says, uh, The little Lord Jesus, no crying He made. Now the reason why that's offensive and why that's inaccurate is it is it gives the impression that Jesus was the perfect child. Actually, that Jesus wasn't even human because he would have been the perfect child and he would have never cried. He would have never whined. Oh, never given his may no, no, that's called a human thing. That's not a sin thing. That's called a human thing. And people were this because it's saying it's demeaning the fact that God actually became a person. God actually became flesh. God wasn't Superman, Superman, who looked human, had characteristics of humanity, but underneath it all really wasn't human. No, no, He is fully God, fully man at the same time. When armchair theologians try to uh, throw darts at my faith and say that the early Christians made up this idea of Jesus being God, I'm like, dude, look at history. Look at history. The first uh, few hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, early followers started banding together to make sure that they uh, had truth right. And the first thing they had to combat or what's called the quote unquote heresy. The first heresy they had to combat was the belief that Jesus was not human. They didn't have to combat or fabricate that Jesus was God. People got that one. They had to actually combat, combat that Jesus wasn't human. The first heresy they came after was uh, Ebionism. The idea that his bones, his bones, they're not real. They're not real. No, no. no, this is just a mirage, just a mirage. Or if you actually did touch Jesus, underneath it all, it's just a layer of skin. No, no, he is, he is a person. He is a man. When it says that he wept, he wept as a person wept. When it says that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin, he was tempted. He wanted to do it. He felt it. Amazing that God would lower himself to become. Like us, very few of us ever lower ourselves for anybody else, let alone if you were God, lowering yourself to become a person. And why does He do this? Because He's thinking of you, because He wants to give you a great gift, the gift of Himself. Why does Christmas Story move me so much? The movie Christmas Story. I remember watching that first time when I was 20-something years old. And... Uh, You know, Ralph, if you know the movie, is, you know, wanting to get a Range Rider pump action, double action, uh, Uzi with a compass in the stock, whatever the heck the thing is. And everybody he tells, they say, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Every single, the whole thing. Santa is actually putting his foot in his face and pushed him down a slide. telling him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And the very end of the movie, uh, Christmas presents are all open and he's kind of dejected. And what do you know? Dad noticed. He was important to Dad. And dad gives him a BB gun. I'm like, you have a BB gun. <laughs> Maybe it's because I never got a BB gun. Maybe it's because my parents, the gifts they gave me in my stocking was deodorant, toothpaste and socks. Maybe. I, I don't know why. You know, it's not so much a gift when you're trying to double dose. You know, uh, we're going to uh, have family expenditures and Christmas expenditures at the same time. And I'm not bitter about it. Doesn't bother me. I don't think about it at all. No, it doesn't. No, I do think about it every once in a while. But, you know, my parents more than did a lot of great blessings for me. But seriously, no lie. That, I did get that in my Christmas stockings every year. But uh, Ralphie, Ralphie is communicated that you are important. You matter. And God is communicating to you through Christmas that you're important, that you matter because God comes to us. He enters into our world. Unto you is born a Savior. Not unto you is born a teacher. Not unto you is born a moralist. Not unto you is born high ideals. Unto you, not unto you is born a miracle worker. Unto you is born a Savior. When girls in India who uh, we've rescued from sex slavery hear of this for the first time, they get it. Um, when, when, when a girl is sold into sex slavery or kidnapped into sex slavery, perhaps the first day or so, they're going hope someone gets me, hope someone gets me. And then immediately after that, they lose any hope or expectation or anticipation of being rescued. Today, we'll talk about karma in our society. I have good karma, I've got good parking karma. We don't really understand karma at all. Karma in the Hindu system means that The lot in life that you have right now, you have because of your works. You should never stop working. You should never rest because your work right now will impact your next life to come. That your only hope is you work. You don't rest at all. You work your spirituality. You work whatever it is. So in the next life, you can climb the chain. And where you are right now, you have no hope. You are staying where you are right now. You can go nowhere. So these girls are told by their pimps to Live in their karma. This is your karma. This is the caste system. This is your caste. They have no hope, no expectation for anything. The idea that God would come for you, that is a uniquely Christian idea. That is a uniquely Christmas idea. That God would actually take on flesh and come for you is crazy. So when a girl has people, establish a relationship with her to get information and then they storm a brothel they break her out. And then while she's in, uh, in, in, in an aftercare home and when for the first time in her life, she's heard the gospel, she's heard the good news, the news that Jesus is coming, that unto you is born a Savior. For the first time, My girl says, a Savior, I know what that is. I've been saved. You're telling me that the same way I was physically saved, I can be spiritually saved? They understand it. Now to us, you and me, we don't want a Savior. I just need a teacher. That's all I need. I just need a helper. I just need maybe a little counselor. I'm just an understandably flawed person who needs a few tweaks to their understanding. That's all I am. No, I am a sinner. No, I am in bondage. No, I cannot work and impress my way to God. I need a Savior. And until you come to the point where you said, I need a Savior, you will never experience Christmas. You'll sing the songs. But you'll never have the attitude of celebration that can permeate your life 365 days a year. See, it's not just a one-time thing that God comes and does. Jesus actually says this about His Father. He says this, He says, My Father is working until now and I am working. It's not just a one-time thing. I am consistently working. I am consistently coming after. I am consistently loving. Why is it that some of us are upset when God is referred to as Father in the Bible? He's referred referred to regularly as father in the Bible. Why is that? Uh, It's not because um, God is specifically a male. God doesn't have any genitalia. What is it? I don't know fully all of why it is, but here's what I know. Those of us who have a problem in the Bible with God being referred to as a father probably have a problem with our earthly father. Our earthly father can really set us up or can jack us up. In fact, when you go home, just Google, um, uh, just, just Google something like effects of fatherlessness or uh, abandonment of a father, something like that. You'll find that poverty is linked to a higher degree with the role or absence of a dad. You'll find that actual physical habits are linked to what the dad has done, even more so than the mom. You'll find that if you go to prison and you interact with people who work with people in prison, then the, the most common characteristic, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of economic status prior to incarceration, is the absence of a father, absence of a physical father or emotional absence of the father. It doesn't mean that if you're a single mom, God will not bring a father figure in your child. doesn't mean that at all. All I'm trying to say right now is that for some of us have a hard time with the identity of God being a father, it links to we've already sensed the power of what a bad father means to our life. It makes it difficult for us. It's because there's a power to God. I'll tell you what, you have a heavenly father, regardless of what's happened with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who says you are important to me. You have a heavenly father that says, I will put everything aside and I will come after you. You have a heavenly father that cares for you so much that he has died for you. He has died for you. He has taken on flesh and lowered himself beneath any caste system there was in the heavenlies. Lowered himself, come through the birth canal, goes through the entire spectrum of life, dies a death that Brian Tome deserves, not him. And he communicates love. He communicates his presence. He communicates, Brian, I want to save you from yourself. I want to save you from... Your bad choices. I want to save you from your selfishness. Book of Ephesians, chapter 2, another Christmas passage. They're all Christmas passages. Here's this one Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. God being rich in mercy, doesn't just every once in a while sprinkle a little mercy on our life. He is rich. He is abundant in mercy. And it says He's so abundant in mercy when He comes to a person like Brian Tome, who was dead in his transgression. See, it says that you and I, you know, we're not just some people who have some problems and God wants to give us a little uh, boost. We are dead. In terms, of, in terms of impressing God, in terms of working our way to God, in terms of earning God's approval, we are dead. Spiritually speaking, my natural self, it's like I have concrete shoes on and I'm drifting in the bottom of the Ohio River. No hope of saving myself. This is I am dead in my transgression. No matter how much I try to work the system, No matter how much I try to to improve myself, that's fine, improve yourself. But if I think that I'm doing it to earn God's favor, he, He has already rested on that behalf. I need to rest from that and realize that's His mercy, His mercy that comes to me. And this is what's called redemption. I celebrate that I can be redeemed. When you're redeemed, it's similar to redeeming a coupon. You take something, you turn it in and get something else. Redemption is all about God taking us turning it in and getting the identity of Christ back. All of Jesus' goodness applied to our account because He worked for me. It's the ultimate cooking of the books. God cooks the books to where all of my iniquities are gone and He transfers Jesus' spiritual assets to my account because He is rich in mercy. This is crazy and unprecedented. And it continues. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, more and more and more. It's not like, okay, I'll I'll do, I'll do just enough so you don't have to go to hell. No, no, immeasurably more in the coming. He keeps heaping it on. He is a generous Father, a generous Father who does not stop. For by grace you've been saved, through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. By grace you've been saved, not of works, not of your intellectual prowess, not of your uh, Sunday school attendance record, not of your morality, not of your lack of vices, not of you being able to figure it out and being diligent. No, it's grace. It's grace. It's God coming to us through Jesus and coming to us with this message of grace. And I can't boast at all because it's a gift. It's a gift that God brings. Silly. Silly. How often do we see gifts like this? Many of us give gifts because we know somebody else is going to be giving a gift to us. We give a gift because somebody's done something nice for us so we feel like we need to give a gift or someone holds a specific title so we need to give a gift. And there's nothing wrong with giving those gifts. But this is a gift that God gives that is unmerited, unprecedented, unworked for, unearned. It simply comes out of His character comes out of his generosity unto you, Jill, a Savior has been born. Unto you, Shadrach, a Savior has been born. Unto you, Louise, a Savior has been born. Why? Because there is a generous God that says, you matter, I'm going to be like one of you, I will die for you, and that's how much Christmas means to me. What do you have to do to receive Christmas? What do you have to do to receive Jesus? You have to receive it. I can give you a gift, but if you don't open the gift, it's useless. You must receive the gift. It is an intentional decision to enter into his rest and to receive the gift. You don't work for it. You don't earn it, but you must receive it. Today, for the first time, some of you are going to receive a Savior. Some of us are going to receive the amazing love of Christmas simply because you say to God, I receive you. Jesus, I, I invite you into my life. There's no prayer that the Bible outlines that you need to say. It doesn't say anywhere that you have to walk an aisle someplace or do certain things. It certainly models over and over again average people saying, I say you're the Christ. I say you're the Messiah. I say you're the light of the world. And I want to receive you. I want to receive forgiveness. And I want to get off my works plan. I want to rest in you. I'm going to pray right now. And uh, some of us are going to receive and enter that rest for the first time. Others of us are going to uh, recommit or have a new, fresh perspective that I need to live in that rest, in that celebration. I'm just going to give you a moment to talk with God in the quietness of your heart or under your breath right now. God, I I know that we are with uh, many family members and many future family members right now. And you are extending a gift. You are extending an invitation, an invitation to worthy dead people, unworthy dead people. And yet, that's what you do. That's how immeasurably rich in grace and understanding and love you are. And I see gifts right now that are hovering throughout this room. And I just see right now gifts falling into laps And some people are sitting there right now and not looking at it, ignoring it. And I see other people through their prayers and through what they're saying to you right now, they're opening and receiving. God, would you notice who is receiving you right now? If you're receiving Christ, you're receiving that gift for the first time, you can say, God, I want you my life. I want to receive you. I want to ask forgiveness. Or you can even just say in a way that he can hear, maybe somebody else too, you can just say, thank you. Receive. Other of us have fresh appreciation. We are striving to remain in that rest. We are we are rejecting the world's system of spirituality that says it's based on your efforts, your endeavors, and we are going to God plan that says, I want to receive, and yes, that does compel me then to honor Him with my works but I do not impress Him with my works. I'm impressed by His works. Why don't we stand right now? Got these candles when you came in. And these candles uh, symbolize a number of things, symbolizes Jesus, one of His names is the light of the world, that He is the light of the world, the light that's come into a dark place, a dark and disobedient place also symbolizes as I start lighting candles and it starts spreading throughout this entire place, symbolizes that as Jesus lit people on fire over 2,000 years ago, those 12 disciples spread to their friends and it spread throughout the entire globe to where the message of Christmas is celebrated on every single corner of the globe and just about every tongue that's known today, people know of the amazing God-man that took on flesh was fully God, fully man at the same time. So I want to encourage you as you receive this, this light to pass it on. And as we sing these songs, as we hold this, we hold this remembering, remembering that as I hold this, I'm making the decision to be warned by the celebration of who Jesus is. I am choosing to celebrate not just today, but 525,600 minutes a year that God has done for me what I can't do for myself. We'll do this as we sing Silent Night.